0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, what I wanted to do was to Google common trends, issues, pains, concerns that a lot of SMB owners, MDs, CEOs, founders are looking as that's the audience that listened to this podcast. One of the topics that consistently comes up is money management, getting better with your finances. There's no better person than Kel Galvelin from Kildare. Kel, also known as Mrs. Smart Money. You're very welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Reen. It's great to be on here. I've been listening to you for a while now. So, when so we got chatting, we said we'd come on. I was delighted.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> delighted to have you. So, typical fashion with the show probably won't follow this for this podcast because it's a slightly different topic. It's a topic that has popped up a lot and a lot, a lot. But let's start no different. You grew up in Kildare, if I'm not mistaken. I actually grew up in Wexford. Okay. Yes,
0: no, not everybody would know that. Um, so, I would have grown up in Wexford in the sunny southeast up the other bellies just between jigs and reels I would have um, a lot of my working life would have been based around Dublin and heading up to Dublin and my husband is from Galway so Mm. we decided uh, after several years we'd settle in Kildare because that was my halfway point between Galway and Rexford so I thought that was fair he didn't necessarily agree it was quite as fair as how it could have been but that's what we ended up doing
1: (laughs) Nice. Wexford, apart from the yellow bellies, I'm a Kilkenny fan and my girlfriend's family are all from Wexford as well. So I had great joy the other week when Kilkenny beat Wexford. But apart from that, I can forgive <laughs> you for that. Beautiful county. Focusing on Wexford before we get into the money side of things, any standout favorite memories of growing up in sunny southeast?
0: Oh, it's called the Sunny Southeast for a reason. And I mm. have to admit we the average temperatures, the daylight it was absolutely lovely and and I know people would be generally familiar with strawberries. And so there was a huge amount of fruit picking, hmm. particularly during the summer. And even though we would be sent out to the fields and we be pick, picking and you get paid a certain amount per pound, you are picked. We probably ate twice or three times that
1: week.
0: <laughs> so my diet growing up, particularly in the summer, was probably just, it was just pure fresh fruit, pure organic fresh fruit. Well, better was better than water or strawberries. Yeah, absolutely. And that would be one of my big memories of just the sunny days, been out with my friends, earning a bit of money and just, I'm sorry to anybody who who I would have worked for as a kid, but yeah, we would have eaten the best of fresh fruit.
1: Um, Sticking with your early uh, childhood days, impact, influence, who do you think had the biggest impact or influence on you as you were growing up?
0: That's an interesting one because I would have had a, a, what I believe a very typical Irish upbringing. And those four of us in the family were that both my parents worked and my mom was a nurse and my dad worked for himself. So I think uh, with my dad particularly, because he was always working for himself, he was always doing something. He always had a project. He always had a plan. He was his mind was always busy. And that was so fascinating from an early age. I know myself, even though originally I took the traditional route of going into science and working my way up along that way, I always had in the back of my mind that he worked so many hours and he worked so hard, but he was always very happy in himself because he has autonomy and his freedom. And I think he was a huge inspiration from that perspective because I just saw his work ethic was so strong he kept things going and he could keep all these plates spinning in the air and it just seemed to work and I always kind of had my back in my mind if the opportunity came up for me to do that absolutely I would take it with two hands but then the other side of me was quite fearful of stepping outside that PAYE box because you do Initially, anyway, lose a lot of the securities of the company pension and the sick days and the time off, and even just the tax side of things, getting that all sorted and set up. And even if you had a bad week in work, you still got paid, whereas you don't necessarily have that luxury while you're working for yourself. So, a lot of those things would have held me back for a long time. And it, it was in many ways fear. But in saying that, when I did step out and my, my business evolved into what it is, it was the best, hardest, the best thing I ever did. But I have my dad to thank for a lot of that.
1: Sounds like a great father. Uh, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure both your parents were brilliant, but you touched on fear. And that's probably a lot of things that might hold people back. I'll give you a quick example before we get into you. My, my, um, my uncle worked a, a very high level corporate job for years. He took a career break for about a year and a half and was contemplating what he wanted to do, he got an offer, a very good offer to come back to a well-known corporate company, was about to accept it. And somebody said to him, what's your goal with accepting this corporate job? And he says, I want to get another three, four years experience before I grew up by myself. Didn't think he had the confidence to grow up by himself. And this particular person said to him, if you accept that corporate job and go back to it, which if you want to you will get back the all the perks, the company card, the holidays, the commission, the bonuses, all these extra things, the gym membership that come with the job, and you'll find it even harder to leave in two, three years time. But now you're in the position where you don't have any of them. Now is the best time for you to start that. So I can understand that there's a lot of things that could potentially hold people back, even though they might have the idea or the inspiration to go forward. But we will get to that. I want to start, though, with you in the corporate world. You spent eight years working with Pfizer as, if I'm not wrong, an account manager, and then three and a half years at GSK as a business development executive. Can you paint a picture of your lifestyle, the corporate version of Kel? What was that like? So we can get an idea of what life you were living before we get to how you managed to save 27,500,000 in the year of 2019?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. So in total, I spent 16 years in pharma. Uh, the bulk of that would have been uh, on the commercial side. So yes, I would have had the, as you, as you said, the trappings, the golden handcuffs is what they're often called.
1: That's um, a great term.
0: It, it, it is, because like, and, and you, it, it can provide a brilliant lifestyle and it's a very interesting job because you're on the edge of medicine. And you have to get it right. You, you can't risk getting it wrong because there's people's lives at stake. Yeah. There's so many other things that go along with that, getting a product to market and all that kind of stuff. So the trappings, yes, like I would have had the company car. I had expenses. I had bonus. I had all annual leave, sick leave, really good company pension, lunch allowance, all these lovely things that came with it that were on top of a basic salary. And they made life from a financial perspective, I won't say super easy, but it made everything very comfortable and made things very doable. But the other side to it is that in many ways you earned that because the hours away and the hours at work and the hours commuting and the time and the energy that was involved in in, in providing the results required for the job, which is expected, and I'm very happy, was very happy to work that, you earned your money. Mm-hmm. So where on one sense, you had these brilliant trappings, and and trappings i'm actually gonna stop using that word there because it was they, they were great perks to a very good job walking away from that is a really hard thing to do particularly when you have responsibilities because the moment in life when you have responsibilities like children and a mortgage and a future that's when you can find that making choices get harder because when you're younger maybe when you're still starting out in your career you can change countries much easier you can start up you can try and test things easier but once you're 16 years into something and you've bedded down and you've committed to rearing a couple of kids and mm-hmm. having this mortgage and you, you you build this 10-year plan and 15-year plan and then the kids get to college to step away and take half of um of all the income and benefits from the house away overnight that's a big decision for anybody i did it in the end but it took me a long time to make that leap
1: kudos to you it's a leap that not many would make many probably think about it you've got a book mindful money it's on the screen for anyone watching anyone listening i'll leave a link to it below Uh, there's several bookstores that that, uh, sell it. There's an Irish bookstore called bookmark.e. I'll leave a link to that if you're in Ireland, if you like to support Irish businesses. But the whole idea of today's podcast is to understand what the concept of money is, what is money, and then the whole concept of paying yourself first so that people can go away with understanding what money is. And then the idea, because I chose paying yourself first because when I started doing this, and we'll talk about that later on, It was the biggest pivotal moment in my financial management over the last probably decade. But you, in as we said, 2018, yourself and your husband were working corporate jobs. 2019, you left that. Your husband kept his job, so you only had one income coming in, and you managed to save twenty seven and a half thousand in 2019 while maintaining a great quality of life. One of the things I've heard you talk about is the fact that. You still went on holiday, you just went on holiday a little earlier, so you managed to save the money, but the experience itself was still just as good while also saving a lot of money. So the important part there is maintaining a great quality of life. And for anyone that wants to learn more about that, they can purchase the book Mindful Money. Again, links to them are below. But what is money? Let's start with this. You talk about, and I only learned this from you, so kudos to you, Yap Island. How does Yap Island come up in the story of what money is?
0: Yes. And actually, to mirror what you were saying there, <laughs> it was when I started to understand money. That's when the golden handcuffs that we are calling them we were starting to loosen because I started mm. looking at money in a different way. And I think when you can understand what it is and why we have it, then you can start seeing it for what it actually is. And it's yeah. not necessarily this emotional Thing that loves us or hates us or runs away from us or stays in our pocket it's a tool it's a tool and it's how you choose to wield that tool decides whether whatever your outcome will be now obviously luck that's why they a part call you this, is this
1: smart money that's exactly <laughs> what you, you you just put things so well <laughs>
0: But the island of Yap, I love this story. And I remember reading about it and I just said I had to put this, at least a piece of this into the book. But the island of Yap, so it's a tiny little island in the, in the Pacific Ocean. And you wouldn't even know it's there. Like it's really tiny, like they have no precious metals. They have nothing major going on. It's just this little island. And but it it is the source of how we can rationalize what money is. So this little island said so they didn't have precious metals, they didn't have anything really. But they, they had to have a bit of an economy. So normally, and going back historically, like bartering, bartering was normal. If you had a chicken and you wanted grain, you'd swap back and forth. But trouble would happen then is if you had chickens and you needed cows, but the farmer who had the cows didn't need chickens. And that made things complicated. So you needed something that everybody could agree on that you could trade in lieu of something else. So it just made the beginnings of an economy much easier because you could t- just have a bartering system but it was elevated mm. to one common thing now that one common thing for these guys it was it had to be something that everybody agreed was cool everybody agreed was nice and precious to them and they liked so they picked these calcite stones called rice stones and these rice stones like they're super shiny white and when they're polished they're like mirrors in the sun and everybody loved them and they thought this is what we're going to use in lieu of our traditional bartering. And these rash stones, they used them for dowries and for buying grain. And, and it worked really well. But then carrying these stones around wasn't necessarily the easiest thing in the world. And then what if you had to buy something big, like a house or a dowry? So the stones got bigger. And some of these stones, they would be so big, they'd be bigger than cars, like to be a couple of thousand metric tons, some of these stones. And to get more of these stones, because obviously the it was growing, because they had this thing. Uh, some guys would go off in boats to neighboring islands, maybe hundreds of kilometers away and bring back even bigger stones, like ones that are twice the size of cars. But they weren't practical to lug around. So if you had a daughter getting married, you couldn't stick this stone in the wheelbarrow. It was just too big.
1: Mm.
0: So they actually brought it back a step again and made it even more abstract. So these huge, big stones would stay in one place wherever they were put when they were brought back in off the boat. And they would just verbally exchange hands to the point where one particularly large stone that was been brought back was dropped off the coast like a couple of kilometers out. It's never Mm -hmm. been seen since the day it was dropped into the water, but it has changed hands so many times for different reasons. And it's still there and it's still owned by somebody, but it's never actually been seen. And this is such a cool example of what money is, because if you actually peel it back again, we treat gold in the same way as the people treat these calcite rice stones. Mm. And we see gold as this precious metal and it has an intrinsic value and in all of that. But what we, what we do is instead of using gold now, we use paper money and we can dive a bit deeper into that if you want, but this paper money, it is a thing that we have agreed to exchange in value. And even though paper money in itself does not have an intrinsic value, we trust that it's handed over. And that's now evolving again into our more digital form. So you go and you buy something off PayPal and you don't even transfer money then. You trust that the money is transferred and you get whatever it is in the result. So these people from the island of Yap, they started off what we use now as money, but it just shows mm. how fluid money is. Mm. And it is, it's what we decided to be as opposed to it being the thing if
1: that makes sense to you, yeah, it's a fantastic story, especially the the big rock falling or the big boulder probably falling off f- page fifteen or sixteen. <laughs> the coast, I don't think I'll ever end up in Yap Island, but if I do, I'll go scuba diving to try and find that. Um, <laughs> but you've mentioned trust once or twice there, and PayPal. If I've got, if I understand you correctly, what you're saying is whether it's a check or PayPal or Revolut. Transfer of money from one, let's say, mobile phone to another mobile phone via PayPal is essentially just a promise that transaction can be delivered. How important? If that's the case, then, how important is trust in our modern day financial system? Trust is everything.
0: And I know we don't necessarily see it like that. But if you stopped believing that your 20 euro note was worth 20 euro and then everybody started to believe it and that got pervasive. there's no actual intrinsic value in a 20 euro note it's what's printed Mm -hmm. on it, it is what we say it is so if that trust is broken then you're in a bit of a pickle and I suppose to to step that back a bit and put it in context for people I'm going to mention gold and the role of gold in money so like with the rice stones we treated gold in a similar way but gold like a big stone it's difficult to carry around in large quantities so it was decided that what if we had these paper notes that were worth certain amounts of gold? Or you could trans—you could say, well, look, this this I don't know—say a hundred dollar bill is worth this amount of gold. Yeah. And they said, okay, we can work with that. But trust wasn't there yet because people weren't used to this paper money. So they said, okay, look, we're going to back this money with gold. So when the gold standard came in, first, every bank who issued notes had to have the exact amount of gold in their bank so that at any stage, if everybody came in with all the notes they'd issued, they could pay it out. And that's what being backed by uh, the gold standard is to be backed by gold. So you Mm. could at any stage and that helped people relax, helped people realize, ah, okay, I have this piece of paper. It's weird having a piece of paper, but I know I can walk into the bank because this piece of paper is at a fixed price against this amount of gold. And that will not change. And that puts people's minds at rest they get used to print they get used to the notes and that meant that more notes could be printed so paper became more common currency but always backed by gold and that worked fine until the Bretton Woods Agreement. And the Bretton Woods Agreement happened in 1944. And basically mm-hmm. the really short version of that, it's a brilliant story if anybody wants to read it. Um, the, what came out of that was they said, okay, we need a reserve currency. Up till then, nobody had a reserve currency. Everybody was backed by gold. Sterling was backed by gold. punts were backed by gold. Dollar was backed by gold. But once they brought in the reserve currency, it, it at the time, uh, the US had two thirds of, of the world's gold supply. So they actually became, in a convoluted way, the reserve currency of the world. And that still remains today.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So that meant that, okay, you, that was a reserve currency. So you had gold and dollars going hand in hand. And that was fine until 1971. Until President Nixon broke, for various reasons, he wanted to pay for debts after the war and things like that. He broke that bond between gold and the dollar, And this made the dollar one of the first fiat currencies. Now, a fiat currency is a currency that is not backed by a commodity like gold. It is just floating free and it can fluctuate compared to other currencies. And that's why we have exchange rates now, whereas before all the exchange rates are fixed because they're fixed against gold. And that subsequently all the other uh, countries that are breaking away from the gold standard as well. So they all became floating currencies. That's why nothing to this day is backed by gold, which makes trust even more important. Because now if it's not backed by something solid that you can go in and exchange that has the value itself, like gold will yeah. always be made into jewelry and it looks pretty and it's used in manufacturing and stuff. But now we have this paper money that we believe and we trust that it is worth the 20 or 100 euro, whatever it is, but there's nothing actually to back that. So trust is super important when it comes to this, but it also, I hope people start to get their heads around it a bit to realize that it is an idea and an abstract ideology as opposed to a physical
1: thing. So if, if I've got this right, as if I paint the timeline for people, we go back to the start and it's Yap Island and it's uh, stones that they're using and, and, and they got bigger over time. But if we fast forward to what you're saying, mid, maybe uh, like, I think it was 1944 in New Hampshire, yeah, you're talking Bretton Woods, about yeah. the Bretton Woods uh, Agreement where the USA controlled two thirds of the gold, or sorry, the gold standard was adopted. Let me get this straight. The gold <laughs> standard was adopted in the first half of the 20th century. Then in 1944, the Bretton Woods Agreement came in and then we- of
0: currency and made a currency just as powerful as gold.
1: Gotcha. And then in 1971, President Nixon, for whatever reason, got rid of that Bretton Woods system or ended it and now the dollar itself was a fiat currency alongside the likes of the pound. Correct.
0: And all the other currencies followed suit for all their different reasons. And and the thing is, that works really well. That works really well. Once the trust is there and we all go, then it's it's perfect. It's great. Like, it works really well.
1: Mm. But
0: sometimes the trust can be broken, and it has been broken historically. And I'll I'll give you one or two kind of recent examples. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, for example, and a lot of your listeners will probably remember this, like in 2016, The Indian government, they announced that the the existing 500 and 1,000 rupee notes would be worthless. They were going to demonetize them. And the problem, that might sound okay, but the problem was it was very much a cash society back then and they wanted to bring it more into a digital, have your bank account, get your money paid into a type of society. With the 500 and 1,000 rupee notes, that made up 86% of the currency going around India at the time. So people's life savings under their mattresses and in jam jars and everything were in these notes. And overnight they were told, that's your life's Uh, work gone because people didn't necessarily believe in in having bank accounts and things like that but see the Indian government they wanted to get rid of the shadow economy and legitimize a lot of that that side of things but the knock-on effect was a lot of just day-to-day people were overnight broke unless they brought the money into the bank and opened an account and agreed to get that paid in and there, there was a lot of ruckus some people ended up dying because some of the queues were so long and there was crushes against the bank because of a lot of stress and worry. But that's a really good example where, mm-hmm. where that trust was broken. You believed the 500 or 1,000 rupee note was worth just that until somebody said they're not. And then they weren't. And another really good example, and I, I do, this is a personal favorite, of mine it for, for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons, is the Zimbabwean dollar. That was just a year before. So that was in 2015 and the, Zimbabwe has had a pickled past
1: mm-hmm.
0: and there was a new government came in and it, it, it got away with them there was hyperinflation and the inflation was running we may, we may consider 2, 3, 4% high their inflation was running at 500 billion percent
1: 500 billion percent
0: <laughs> correct Five hundred. I can't even wrap my head around that It's 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 It was just An absolute exception Like the government eventually Like they They did agree to start saying Look we're going to transition over Towards the US dollar Because Like <sighs> a roll of toilet roll Just when Maybe in the morning It was worth Hundreds of dollars By the evening It was worth a couple of thousand Like people You were a millionaire afford...
1: If you had a toilet roll essentially
0: <laughs> Exactly But people's People, um, because this was happening so fast, people's wages weren't keeping up with your to say, wait, yeah, yeah. and it, it just very quickly broke the whole system down. Now, they did change over to the dollar and they did say, look, for every, if I remember correctly, for every 175 quadrillions in Babylon dollars you had, you could transfer it over to five US dollars. And <laughs> and that's how they ran it. So it, it's changed pretty much over. They demonetized the the way and dollar, because they had to, they couldn't keep up with that. But that's another example of where you're promised on a note, this is what it's worth. And suddenly it's not worth that at all.
1: Yeah, you've touched on trust a couple of times. And when you give those examples, to me, if you didn't say the year 2015 Zimbabwe, 2016 India, I would have assumed that you learned that from a history book in secondary school of reading back about the past. But 2016 is only five years ago. Correct. 2015 is only six years ago. So trust is vital.
0: It's so important. And actually, one, um, most people, like the Irish example, now it's a much softer one and it wasn't quite as dramatic. But when we changed over from the punt to the euro, The Irish punt in 2002 changed over the fixed exchange rate of um, one euro 27 cent. So the Irish punt is no longer legal tender. So if you had your punts uh, locked away in a drawer, as a lot of Irish people would have had and not everybody had bank accounts. And it was if you misplaced some or didn't bring it into the bank to exchange it, you couldn't go down to the shop and use it anymore. So that paper money, unless you bring it now to central bank, and I don't know what the rules are with COVID, but when we can do that again, unless you do that, take that trip to the central bank and bring it in and exchange it, it's worthless. Yeah. And that's something in our own economy in pretty much bang on 20 years ago.
1: So these are are going to be in the history books for our great grandkids. It's modern times for us. Um, It,
0: It absolutely is. And money changes so fast as well. Like even just the value of a house, 20, 30 years ago to the value of a house. Now then just bring that up along. Money changes all the time and you have to be, and this is not a negative term for money. It's once you understand it for the tool that it is, then you can go ah, much more practically, take the emotion out of it and start thinking, how can you actually use it practically to build your life the way you need it to go?
1: So it's. Yeah. When you view it as a tool, yeah. to enhance your lifestyle rather than getting caught as a, I think you said this line, as a middle person in the great cash flow of life. Correct. Your life becomes uh, less stressful. So probably a good time to move on to the second uh, thing I wanted to touch on today, which is the concept of paying yourself first. I'm happy to end with a story of how this has dramatically changed the way my relationship was with money, but I'd like you for our listeners to explain the concept of what paying yourself first is and why it's so powerful.
0: Yeah, pay yourself first is, it was a game changer for me. And it was actually, mm. like I, I'm big into having good habits and things like that. But paying yourself first was One of the hardest ones for me to get my head around, and I think that's because of maybe the way we're brought up, maybe our economy, I don't know, but we traditionally think of the money comes in, delete my hard day's work, uh, I'll pay all my bills, do what I need to do, and then I'll save because the other things take priority. What pay yourself actually is making sure that this money that you've worked so hard for, this money that you have trained yourself for, educated yourself, for, gotten up early in the morning, for work late in the evenings, for gone through the commute for all these things that bring you away from your loved ones and doing the things that you want to really do. And even mm. if you love your job, you I doubt if you'd be doing it if you didn't get paid. Most of us wouldn't anyway. I don't want to exclude anybody. But you work really hard for that. And you provide a service to your company. Your company is more than happy to pay you because you have this brilliant set of skills. So their thank you to you is this monthly payment, weekly payment, whatever it is. So they pay you that money. And that is the money that you have. And quite often, it's the only income you have to feed yourself, go on holiday, buy the house, pay for the car, sort out the kids and save. For every single thing you want to do in life, it's a handbag to holiday to whatever pension comes from this one piece of money. And if you don't use that one piece of money properly, then you have nothing else to lean on. So when pay yourself comes in first, it's first and foremost, you have to make paying yourself first, the first bill every month, over and above everything else. Because if you go through a month where you've worked really hard, you get paid, you feel like you're rich for a whole of 10 minutes, and then everybody else gets paid except you. The milkman gets paid, the shop gets paid, the bills get paid, the loans get paid, the overdraft Mm. gets paid. And you rock up to the end with nothing left in your account
1: you've essentially worked for free for that month. Yeah, it's a good way of putting it. And in in the book, you talk about how anyone who might be saying, I can't, I can't pay myself at the end of the month. Uh, you One of the questions you ask them is around, you ever paid off a loan? Because if someone has paid off a loan, means they can pay themselves, but it's not necessarily a priority. They don't get punished. You don't get punished if you don't pay yourself, but you get punished if you don't pay the bank back the loan that you took out from them. So it's a matter of changing your mindset essentially as well about making yourself the priority here over the other bills. And the the breakthrough moment for me was if I pay myself first and it turns out that I don't have enough money left over to pay. I, I For me, rent is number two. I don't have enough money then to pay like the gym, entertainment, eating out. Then I'm living beyond my means and I've got to take a look at that. And that's an entirely different question, but paying yourself first, the concept of that is brilliant. And for me, I, I touched on this you offline. I managed to save over 20,000 euro last year from just paying myself first. my And the only thing I did differently was I decided rather than waiting to see what I had at the end of the month left over and taking that leftover money and putting it into account, I decided I'm going to take a percentage of what I earn every month and automatically put that into an account and then anything left over, which then had me more aware of where I was actually spending money because I went from a big chunk of money to us, a, 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 a smaller chunk of money that I had left over to, to play with. Yeah. So you actually become better. One of the advantages that I like to talk about, because there's several different advantages is your spending habits or you probably the best way to put it is you develop really good spending habits because you are aware of where your money is going to rather than I'll see what's left at And end I want to if there is anything left, I'll put it into an account. So some of the advantages that you list in the book for paying yourself first are developing good money habits. You're prepared for whatever life throws at you. You're a wealth builder. It's empowering. You want to talk on one or two of them and talk about how uh, it impacted you
0: yeah absolutely and you hit on a couple of interesting things and i'm actually going to start off with one of the benefits of paying yourself first Mm -hmm. is you mentioned and i am a big believer if anybody's paid off a loan and you have paid it off on time all the time you prioritize that loan to pay it off and all you have to do and i'm making this a little bit easier for once you get into it is prioritize yourself that's what you do if you don't just if you don't pay your loan you will get punished. You'll get punished quite soon because you don't like getting paid if they're not paid regularly. But if you don't pay yourself first, you're actually punishing future you because inevitably something is going to go left field. Like what caused you to take that loan in the first place? If you don't pay yourself first, then you are going to be vulnerable to taking out more loans or leaning into the overdraft or leaning on the credit card as opposed to having a nice cushion of protection there to stop you getting more into debt. Because as soon as you take out debt, Not only are you um, vulnerable to owing money to somebody else, but you're paying more because you're paying interest and setup fees and standard fees and late fees and termination fees. So it's going to get very expensive very quickly for whatever that purchase was. But if you had the money there in the first place, and that's where developing good money habits comes in and preparing you for whatever life throws at you. Because none of us, not one of us has an easy life. Nobody just rocks into adulthood and swans the whole way through it. Things break. Things don't work out. Relationships don't work out. Work jobs don't work out. Holidays don't work out. There's a leak in the roof. Like we're forever being bombarded with what we we call unexpected expenses. But mm. really they're so regular they actually should be expected. You might know specifically what it is but it's going to happen. And I, I I use this analogy quite a lot and I think it's suitable for Ireland. And That is, it. it's, I call a rainy day fund it's part of the paying yourself first thing. But the rainy day fund It's always going to rain in Ireland. You don't know when it's going to rain. You don't know how heavy it's going to be or how long it's going to last, but it's going to rain. So have a raincoat and then you can just continue on with your life. And that's what paying yourself first helps you to do. It protects you from that. But also the good money habits and exactly like what you were saying there. You pay yourself first. And when you're starting off, it doesn't have to be much. Like even if it's 20 euro for the first month, there's a way to loosen up 20 euro out of your life to put into a savings account and just do that. And then pay your bills and whatever's left, that's your discretionary to go have fun with and live your life. And it's guilt-free because you're not paying for it next month. It's what's left over. And there's a refreshing feeling an empowering feeling to that when you're, you paid yourself first, your bills are sorted and there's that bit mm. of money there and you go, let's give it socks. This is the living for now money, the fun money that you can have. So it does loads of things. And there's another big psychological part to this as well, is that when your money comes in and you put your pay yourself money aside, that feeling of knowing you've prioritized yourself, you are organized enough to do this, so that cushion is there. That makes the rest of the month so much easier because you've done the hard work right there by putting that money away. And that's, it, it does loads of things, but I could talk about pay yourself first for, at Infinitum. But yeah, it is empowering. It does build your wealth. It gives you good money habits. More often than that, it prepares you for life.
1: You're dead right. It amazed me to see over a short period of time, how fast you can actually accumulate savings. For any of our listeners, let's focus on two things. First monthly, and it's, it's first daily and second monthly. If you save five euro a day, every day between now and this day next year, you'll have €1,850 saved. That's a nice chunk of money. And number two, if you were to save €1,000 from your monthly wages, if you're part of a a two-person household, end of the year, that's €12,000 saved. Again, nice chunk of money. Uh, And it adds up. So if you've adopted the concept of pay yourself first, you'd be pleasantly surprised come the end of the year. I know you talked about on a previous podcast about... How you had budgeted your family food uh, expenses for the year and you actually came with money left over to spend at Christmas so much that you actually couldn't spend all of that money at Christmas. So you've become incredibly good at money management over the last, well, 27,500 again, 2019 You're now the author of a book. You offer one to one consultancy. You write a ton of different blogs. I'm sure there's plenty of other services that you offer as well. I'll link the Mrs. or Money.com or.ie site below.com. The book as well. (laughs) You're incredibly active on Instagram. Strangely enough, and I don't know if she'll listen to this because I don't know if she's ever listened to podcasts. My mother but I mentioned that I was coming on with you and she followed you on Instagram. So she's a fan. So she might listen to this as well. And she was telling me <laughs> you've got a serious following on Instagram as well. You're incredibly active. I'll leave links to everything down below. I hope people have gotten value from the two concept of one, understanding functionally what money is and using it and thinking of it as a tool. The story of Yap Island is amazing. And then two the concept of paying yourself first and how life changing that is. But with all this talk of money and you becoming a expert in the area or working your way towards becoming an expert, if you want to put it that way, that combined with recent restrictions, I'm sure you're looking forward to getting away on a holiday as much as I am. So my final question to you is restrictions lifted. Where is the first place you're going to go on holidays to?
0: Oh, I am really looking forward to heading to Europe. I've normally, most of our holidays are, are, and anybody who's been following, we know, staycations in Ireland. Like every year we would have always Mm -hmm. had staycations. I love holiday in Ireland. And it's been been a few years since I've been to Europe now. And I just love the buzz and the history and everything that's in around Europe. And I'll be honest, the extra little bit of heat doesn't go astray either.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Look, I hope over the next couple of months you do get the chance to get out to Europe wherever that is, and continue to enjoy staycations at home. But for me, I've thoroughly enjoyed spending the last 35, 40 minutes chatting to you. Hope our listeners have got some value. Again, I'll link all those links below to your book, to your website, to your social channels. But Kel, thank you for being my guest today.
0: It's great to be on me, and thank you.
1: your trust you, I'm gonna Beautiful morning, you're my morning baby